the Sunday Sermons Podcast. We're going to start with a question again, just three words. <clears throat> Excuse me, you can answer this in your own head or whisper it to the person next to you. But if somebody just came up to you and said these three words, how would you answer? What is missions? What is missions? All of you are probably right in one way or another. You probably have some idea of missions that you've seen or experienced. That's why you're here today. That's somebody you support in a foreign country. There's some idea. But we all have different ideas about everything. And what we're trying to do right now is still just focus on what did Jesus have to say about it. Today we're looking at what does Jesus think about missions? What, what, what is his mission? One thing that's been clear this entire series as we've been walking through just focusing on Jesus, the things he said, the things he did, the kind of things he said and did, the things he commanded us to do, and the kind of things that he commanded us to do. As we've looked through this, one thing we've seen pretty clearly, and we'll see it more clearly than ever today, is that Jesus had a worldwide vision. He offers true salvation real rescue from all the things that break us and destroy us. And he takes us out of that and gives us a new life, a whole new way of looking at everything, a a renewed ability to be remade in the image of God in this life and then eternity on the other side of that. And that is offered by him and only by him to the entire world. Every version of the kingdom that he described, if you remember when we talked about his idea of the kingdom, every single picture he gave us had to do with growth, exponential growth. That this was a kingdom that was supposed to be built and that would expand throughout the world. One of the big ideas that we looked at, we used a Latin term, imago Dei, to describe this. The idea that the image of God is in every single human being, but it's been broken and it needs to be restored and it can only be restored through Jesus. Today we're going to look at two other ones like this. And these are, these are words uh, you won't find in the Bible and it's okay if you don't like Latin and it's okay if you don't like these terms, but here's how they work. And the only reason I'm using them because I, I want you to know these things. I want you to understand them. I want you to live them. And uh, these terms have become meaningful to me. They're, they're symbolic, kind of like the word Trinity. Ever heard the word Trinity? Pretty much everybody. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible. There's no one verse in the Bible that just lays out the doctrine of the Trinity, as we call it. What you will find throughout the whole scriptures is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all working together, all completely in unity, sometimes interchangeable. The Holy Spirit, for example, is called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And yet they're all one. We can't get our heads around that. We can't really comprehend that. And so we have this little phrase, this little word, Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. Does that make sense? And that's, that's how these three phrases work. Imago Dei is all that stuff about how are we made in the image of God, male and female. And what does it actually mean that we're in his image and all of those things? It, it, it's all in that. The two ones that we'll look at today have to do with his mission and our mission on earth. And the first one is this, Missio Dei. Would you say that with me? Missio Dei. You know, it, 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 again, it means so much in two little tiny words, and that's why I'm using it. 
Missio Dei literally means the mission of God, and it means two different things. One is, what is God's mission, as in this is the mission of God, but it also refers that God is a missional God. In other words, you cannot, you cannot separate God's plans and his purposes and his commands from his character. Who he is is what he does. What he does is what he is. And this mission that he has for us, his desire for us, uh, all of the things that he does has been there since creation began. All the way back in creation, we see when God said, let us make mankind in our own image. The very next thing he says is, and they will rule over the earth. He was partnering with the first humans to actually do something worldwide even before the fall. And after the fall, he started making this new plan. And he started with a guy named Abraham. You've heard this before, right? But just pay attention to how it was worldwide all the way through. For example, Genesis 18 Verse 18, God is renewing his covenant with Abraham at this point. He'd already talked to him before. This is another time. Now he's, he's taken a step further, but he still hasn't had a kid, let alone a nation. Abraham, God says, will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Fast forward several hundred years, now there's a nation of Israel, uh, or at least a whole bunch of people that have been set free from Egypt, and they've been brought to the promised land. They're going to become a nation. God is giving, I'm sorry, they're not in the promised land yet at this moment. This is Exodus. But God is giving Moses the law and putting all this into a code and trying to make it all clear. And he says this, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Priests as in people who intercede on behalf of others for God. And holy as in set apart for a very specific purpose. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. Even in the Psalms, I'm just giving you a couple of examples so you can see that long before even Jesus started talking about it, this was God's vision. Psalm 46.10 says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. If you would, I'd like you to read Psalm 67, the whole thing. It's kind of short. We can do this. I'd like you to read it along with me. We're going to pray this as a prayer to God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fill him. Once again, we see this consistent idea throughout the scripture that God blesses us so that we can bless others. He gives us 
talents and abilities and opportunities so that we will use them to build his kingdom. And he gives us this vision that we get to be invited into his kingdom no matter where we've been before, no matter who we were before we chose to follow Jesus. He he invites all of us into that so that we can partner with him and invite more people. You can't separate the gospel You can't separate the individual salvation idea from the vision that we're all called into something bigger than ourselves. It's consistent throughout the world. Again, a couple more from the Old Testament, and then again, we're going to focus on Jesus himself. But these ones, as they're looking forward specifically to the Messiah, you see this as well. Isaiah 11.10, for example. He says, In that day the root of Jesse, which is Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. And by the way, these, the, this people's word, that's not a grammatical error, just in case you're keeping track. There, there's probably three people out there that might care about grammar. But it, it's not a mistake. It's not people. It shouldn't be people, just people. It means peoples as in individual, recognizable, identifiable groups of people, which is very similar to the word that we translate as nations. It's not really talking about nations as in legal countries or something like that, people that have a government and an army. It just means a distinct group of people. They have a culture. They have a language. They have a way of looking at life. Peoples, there's, there's, there's peoples, there's nations, there's groups of people all throughout the world. And all, even in our community, there's several different peoples or nations in this sense. We don't really have English words that exactly say this, so it sometimes sounds awkward. The translators just do their best. But that's what it's talking about. Isaiah 12 verse 4 says, in that day, in other words, when the Messiah is showing up, in that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. And Jesus himself, as we've seen just a few weeks ago, claimed all of this. He claimed to be this Messiah, this worldwide Messiah. When at the beginning of his ministry, he stood up and read this from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And notice again with me, if you will. While Jesus spoke many times about eternal life. And that those who follow him will have eternal life. What he's claiming here to be his mission. What he's claiming here to say, this is why the spirit of the Lord is on me. Is all stuff that happens right here, right now. Are you catching that? He's saying the spirit of the Lord on me is on me so that there's going to be equality. There's going to be forgiveness. There's going to be a shared vision. There's going to be freedom that wasn't there before. Because the people will be united. And as they follow me, they will grow closer to each other. You know, that triangle thing. You remember the triangle? That's how it's going to work. Again, the idea, this, this idea, this mission of salvation is so much bigger than just I get to go to heaven when I die. It's we get to participate in the mission of God. We get to be part of building 
this kingdom. We get to serve each other and grow together as we become missional in the same way that God is missional. It's who he is. It's what he does. And you can't separate those two. This is so clear in Jesus the whole time. Everything he did, everything he said, everywhere he went, you saw that he was on task. One night he's eating dinner with a Pharisee, which is kind of awkward. And as he's eating there, somebody shows up who's sick. Some sort of weird swelling issue. I'm not sure what that was. But he heals the guy. And of course, the Pharisee is freaking out because that guy would have been unclean because he's sick and all these other things. And Jesus takes the opportunity. He talks about healing. He talks about the Sabbath. He talks about a whole bunch of other things. And then he brings in some of these other themes. He says, hey, listen, when you throw a banquet, you should invite everybody. And you shouldn't like... Set the, like, you shouldn't always choose the seat of honor. You should let somebody else have that. And somebody in the crowd, there's somebody else at that dinner that night said this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. In other words, that's, how, that's somebody right there. If God invites you to his party... That's something else. And, and you know, deep down inside, he's thinking, which means all of us Jews. Which means these Pharisees. Did, right? He's, he's thinking about himself here. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. He doesn't say that people that are invited to the banquet are not blessed. But he flips that idea completely upside down. And he tells them a story about someone who throws a huge wedding banquet but the people that they invited first all make up excuses and don't come. Ever heard this story? And so then he says, oh, okay. Well, go out and invite all the beggars. Go out and invite anybody who's got some sort of a disability so they can't work. And, and therefore, everybody in that culture of that day said, you know, they, they weren't good for that much. Invite them. You can just anticipate that guy and the Pharisee and everybody else are going, hold on, where is this story going? What is happening here? And, and the guy says, hey, there's even more room. He says, okay, go invite everybody, just anybody. Go up and down the streets. Invite the foreigners. Anybody that will come, invite them. Let them all come. I've got the whole banquet ready. Whoever wants to come is invited. What? See, Jesus didn't argue with him. He didn't say they're not blessed. But the blessing doesn't have anything to do with who they were without Jesus, who they were without that invitation. The blessing is the blessing God wants to give to literally anyone who will accept that invitation. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the mission that we've been called in to, to share. In Luke 4, again, back at the beginning of his ministry, if you remember, Jesus goes back to his hometown in Nazareth, and he's completely rejected there. And, and they actually want to kill him because of some of the things he said. One of which was he reminds them that in the days of Elijah, which is one of their very favorite prophets, one of mine too, by the way, he was pretty cool. But in the days of Elijah, when God was punishing Israel and there were three years with no rain, Elijah spent a lot of that time with a widow in a foreign country, one of their enemies who was providing for him and him providing for her. And Jesus pointed out, he didn't send her to one of the Israelite widows. 
And he said, oh, and, and then Elisha, who succeeded Elijah, uh, it, he, he did a lot of cool things for Israel, but the only leper we know he healed was Naaman, the captain of the armies of Syria. What? You can't talk like that. The gospel's not for everybody. It's just for us. Come on, Jesus, don't give us that. That's one of the reasons they wanted to kill him. But Jesus took that opportunity of that rejection and said this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And so he moves on. Not just to Israelite towns, but to neighboring towns as well. From the beginning of his ministry. More toward the middle of the ministry, the three years he was walking around on earth, accomplishing his mission. We see this. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. How many have heard that story about Jonah? You know that one? It's, it, we, we tell it like a kid's story, like a fantastic story. And he's swallowed by a whale. And I'm not sure it was actually a whale, but a big fishy kind of thing that God provided. And, and it's this fantastic story that as kids we think is amazing. And as adults, a lot of us are kind of like, hold on now. Scientifically speaking, is that really possible to live in the body? And, and, and it's kind of almost an embarrassing story. We kind of... I don't know. That's not one we'd lead with when we're trying to show people that the Bible is real and true. But I'd like to point something out to you. Jesus quoted it as real. And Jesus also quoted Genesis, even Genesis chapter 1, over and over and over as truth, as history. And he based a lot of his teaching on those as foundational. I think that's worth noting. I think that's worth remembering, even when it gets a little awkward. So what do we do about this? How do we join in in the mission? What is Jesus' plan so that we can be part of it? Is Jesus' whole plan just that we join a church somewhere and we show up sometimes? Is it, is it that we somehow get a ticket to heaven and, and then wait until we die? That's absolutely, those ideas are not in the scriptures. We don't see it there. We see something so much bigger Bigger than we can describe in, at all. Like, it'd take forever. We just can't. We have to experience it. But I'd like to give you two more Latin words. Let's see if we can say these together. And if I'm mispronouncing, if you're better at Latin than me, God bless you. That's great. But again, I'm just trying to use a concept here that encapsulates, encapsulates a whole bunch of stuff really small. This says participatio Christi. Can you say that with me? Participatio Christi. What that means is the way we join the mission is we participate in Christ. And this means so much that Jesus talked about. Some of the really weird stuff like if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have real life in you. 
Or I am the water of life, and those who follow me will have streams of living water flowing out of them. Uh, those who are part of me will have power and will bear fruit. Those who are not part of me don't remain part of me. The Father will cut off. There, uh, we could go on and on about this connection with Jesus. It's, it's, in, it's in everything. It's in baptism. Paul writes in several of his books that through baptism we are united with Christ in his death and raised to a new life. That we are actually participating with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And we are set free from sin in the same way Jesus was set free when he rose again. Never to die again. Never to, never to actually be part of this world 100% anymore. I could go on and on. But again, what he's calling us to do is to live like him. To see the world like him. To live the way he lived. To speak the way he spoke which is why we've been marinating in it for several months now. And what Jesus wants to do is to restore our desire and our ability to unite and reach the nations for him. That he knows that we will grow. We will grow spiritually. We will grow numerically. We will grow in every good way there possibly is if we unite to reflect his image on purpose. If we team up and we all use everything that he's given us, every opportunity, every resource, every talent, every ability, every dream, every passion that he's given us collectively, every spiritual gift, all of it, when we unite and we use it all together, then we can actually accomplish this mission. And what a mission it is. Again, let's look at some of the things that just Jesus said and see how this is at every stage in his ministry, all the different ways he called people, this was in there. Matthew 4, 19, he's talking to some fishermen, and he says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Do you see it? I'm not going to ask that every time because it's pretty awesome, obvious, but do you see it in here? Okay, let's keep going. Matthew 9, 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I've had several people in this congregation that have told me that it's just blown my mind. I have so much respect for it. But in, in times of sickness, disability, weakness, just growing old, not able to do as much as they used to be able to do, they see that as an opportunity to pray more. They have more time to specifically pray for God's will to be done in specific people's lives and around the world. I respect that so much. Jesus also told tons of stories. And one of the things that he, he did was he'd cast sort of himself as these kings or angry people that, that it just doesn't make sense that it would fit with him 100%. Because we know that's not how Jesus is. And again, I've said this several times over the last couple of weeks. If you miss it, I want you to hear it today. Uh, when we listen to a parable, it's really dangerous to unpack it too, too deeply sometimes. If the, if the king in a story is angry, it doesn't mean Jesus is angry. He's using an angry king to get a point across. Does that make sense? And, and, and in one of these stories, he says an ang a guy goes to make himself be proclaim king and then he's going to come back and establish a kingdom and he leaves a bunch of people in charge he gives them a bunch of money and he expects results and when he comes back some of them had produced results 
And some of them did not. Which means some of them got rewarded and some of them were banished. It doesn't mean Jesus is mean. It doesn't mean he's angry. It does mean that he expects us to be part of the mission that he gave us. He, he expects us to take responsibility. He expects us to get stuff done. John 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. This is him wrapping things up at the end. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. Matthew's version of the end of the story. And the gospel of the kingdom. Oh, actually, this part, this specific part, Jesus is talking about the end of time. But I'm not going to comment on every verse. Just listen. You're going to hear it. I promise you're going to hear it. Whether he's talking about prophecy, he's talking about a command, he's given the great commission, you hear it everywhere. Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You know this one. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Luke 24, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And after Jesus went back to heaven and left his people in charge of accomplishing this mission, several other people still got it just as clearly. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 4. He goes all the way back to Abraham and Jesus and ties it all together. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Romans 15. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Galatians 3 verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. See if this doesn't sound really familiar. Remember the thing in Exodus when God was talking to his people, what his plan was, if you follow my covenant, this is what it's going to look like. Now here's Peter, who walked and talked with Jesus, marinated with him for years. Here's what he says. But you, that's us, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Even looking ahead in Revelation. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. There's no way to miss this. Any version of the gospel that we turn and twist into being all about me, and the whole thing is just if I get to go to heaven, we are missing 99% of what Jesus said and taught and what he said his gospel was about. Any version of the gospel that has to do with us just doing our thing and us just kind of staying within the walls and hopefully some more people will join us is not the gospel. Any version of the gospel that says we, we're pretty comfortable with us and how we do things and anybody who looks different, sounds different, that's a little awkward. Hopefully somebody will reach them. That's not the gospel. To be called to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, cannot be separated from the call to also be an apostle, someone who is sent out. Disciple means someone who follows. Apostle means someone who is sent. If we follow Jesus, we are also sent. You can't separate those. You can't separate the character of God from what he does. You can't separate the vision of God from the things he tells us to actually do. You can't separate salvation from sin into righteousness without living in righteousness and sharing that process with everybody in the whole world. Can I get an amen? amen. This is what it looks like. And specifically what it looks like here at the end of this morning, here's, here's what I'd love for you to think about. The question is not if God wants you to be a missionary. It's how. It's where. It's when. What role do you play? And if you've never prayed and offered your life to God to be a missionary... You need to pray that prayer today. In a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And, and, and I, 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 listen to me. To that, there's a network that has to happen. But somebody's got to go overseas and somebody's got to support them. I grew up overseas with missionary parents. And I, I know what I'm talking about. Just even the people that went overseas, some of them were pilots. Some of them were computer IT guys. And all they did was fix computers all day. Some of them bought stuff and packaged it up and sent it out to missionaries in the jungle. Who here likes shopping? Can I see you? You could be a missionary. I, I, I'm serious. And, and, and none of us could have been there without some people working jobs here in America, spreading the gospel here in America, and also sending money to us while we were over there. There are so many ways to participate, but what you need to know is not if God wants you to be part of that process, but how? You need to ask him that. And you need to be willing to, to do whichever part he made for you. The gifts you have, the passions you have, the things that break your heart, the things that get you excited, the things that you do that make you come alive. For some reason, God gave you that. And I guarantee you it has something to do with this worldwide mission because God is a missional God. And we are called to participate in Christ.
And the world will see his image best reflected when his people unite and look like him. As you stand, as we sing this morning, would you pray, God, where do you want me to go? And then take a step in that direction.